Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. Moving on to global politics, let's talk about the protests in New Zealand against the new government's policies towards indigenous people. Abby, why don't you give us a quick rundown? Certainly, Michael. Thousands of protesters called together by the Te Pāti Māori Party have been voicing their opposition to the policies of the recently elected right-leaning government. This coincided with the opening of New Zealand's 54th Parliament, which marked a shift from six years under the center-left Labour Party. And it seems like the Te Pāti Māori Party is not holding back in expressing their dissent. They broke protocol by swearing oaths of allegiance to the Treaty of Waitangi and the upcoming generation before pledging allegiance to King Charles. Quite a bold move. Indeed, it's a clear message. The new National Party-led coalition has plans to review positive discrimination policies, change department names from Maori to English, and remove references to the Treaty of Waitangi in legislation. It's understandable that this would... Stir up strong feelings, absolutely. But the National Party leader, Christopher Luxon, has described the criticism as pretty unfair. He argues that they've only been in power for a week, and that they plan to get things done for both Maori and non-Maori. Yes, but there's also the perspective of a New Zealand leader, David Seymour. He accuses Tapati Maori of being more interested in divisive theatrics than in providing solutions for indigenous people. It's a complex situation for sure. On one hand, there's the need to respect cultural heritage and the rights of the indigenous people. And on the other, the government's aim to treat people equally regardless of their race. It's a difficult balance to strike. Absolutely, Michael. And this debate isn't unique to New Zealand. Many countries grapple with similar issues, balancing cultural preservation with the need for unity and equal treatment. It's a conversation that's likely to continue for years to come. From the Southern Hemisphere's struggle with indigenous rights, we now turn our gaze north to the political whirlwinds sweeping across Europe. From Poland's turbine gate scandal to the shifting political landscapes across the EU, our next segment will delve into these intriguing developments. Abby, let's unpack the European political scene. Abby, let's delve into the whirlwind of political happenings across Europe. A lot to unpack here, but let's start with the turbulence in Poland. What's your take on this turbine gate scandal brewing around Donald Tusk? Well, Michael, it's certainly an interesting situation. Before Tusk's government has even been formed, they're already under fire from the outgoing conservative PS party, who accuse them of serving lobbyists with their new wind energy bill. It's a rocky start, to say the least. And the ripples aren't just in Poland. Across the EU, there's a warning to liberal and conservative parties to stop mimicking far-right narratives. Terry Reintke, co-president of the Greens, warns that this strategy could backfire. Is this a sign of shifting political landscapes, Abby? It certainly seems that way, Michael. With far-right gains across the EU, it's clear that the political landscape is shifting. But as Ranke suggests, parties trying to adopt these narratives might find themselves in hot water. After all, as she puts it, at the end, people vote for the original. And speaking of shifts, let's talk about Austria's push to speed up EU accession for Western Balkans particularly Bosnia-Herzegovina. It's an interesting move, isn't it? Especially when Brussels is focusing on Ukraine's EU bid. Absolutely. 
Austria's insistence on speeding up the EU accession process for Western Balkan states seems to be a strategic move to ensure the region's stability and protection from foreign influence. It's an interesting counterpoint to Brussels' focus on Ukraine, and it'll be fascinating to see how this develops. Now let's shift our focus to the north. The far-right party is making inroads in Sweden, with Jimmy Okesson overtaking incumbent center-right moderate Prime Minister Ulf Christensen in a new opinion poll. This is a significant development, wouldn't you say, Abby? It's definitely noteworthy, Michael. The rise of the far right in Sweden is a reflection of the broader political shifts we're seeing across Europe. It's another sign that the political landscape is in flux, and it's a trend we'll need to keep an eye on. And on the topic of shifts, we have Spain's right wing potentially coming to power if elections were held today, according to a poll. This would be the first time since July's snap elections. It seems like the political pendulum is swinging right across the continent, doesn't it? It certainly does, Michael. From Spain to Sweden, the right wing is gaining ground. And yet in Portugal, we see support for EU accession for Albania, North Macedonia, and Montenegro. It's a complex, ever-changing picture, and it underscores the importance of keeping abreast of these developments. Indeed, Abby. And let's not forget the Eastern Europe. Czech PM Petr Fiala expressed concerns over irregular migration, while Slovakia's controversial reform is now under EU Commission review. It's a dynamic landscape, to say the least. Absolutely, Michael. From migration issues to rule of law concerns, Eastern Europe is grappling with a host of challenges. And as we've seen, these issues have implications not just for individual countries, but for the EU as a whole. It's a reminder of the interconnected nature of these issues and the need for collective solutions. From the political shifts across Europe, we now turn our attention to a pressing international issue. The conflict between Russia and Ukraine has been a focal point of global discussions, and it appears the U.S.'s stance towards this issue is undergoing some significant changes. Let's delve into this complex situation. The ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine has been a critical topic of discussion, and it seems the U.S.'s commitment to aiding Ukraine is waning. Abby, what's your take on this? It's a complex situation, Michael. The U.S.'s commitment to Ukraine is being questioned, not just by the international community, but within the U.S. as well. President Biden's request for $60 billion to support Ukraine has been met with resistance in Congress. And it's not just about the funding, right? There's a whole debate about immigration tied into this. Republicans are demanding stricter immigration policies in return for approving the aid. Exactly. And it's not just the Republicans. The public's faith in the administration is dwindling, and there's a rising skepticism about the effectiveness of the aid. All this while Ukraine is battling not just a military threat, but an impending harsh winter. It's a grim picture indeed. And it's not just about Ukraine. The U.S.'s position as a global leader is at stake here. If it fails to keep its promise to Ukraine, what message does that send to other nations? It's a valid concern. A failure to support Ukraine could send a message that U.S. security guarantees mean nothing. And with Russia and China watching closely, this could have serious implications for global security. But let's not forget the domestic implications. You're talking about the possibility of a Trump return, aren't you? His America First stance could drastically alter U.S. foreign policy. Yes, indeed. The isolationist stance could potentially reshape the world order. But it's not just about the presidency. 
the political dynamics in the House and Senate are also crucial here. True. The tension between the Republican-led House and the Democratic-led Senate is palpable. And it's not just about Ukraine, it's about other issues too, like funding for Israel and border security. The situation is indeed complex. There's a need for a comprehensive approach that addresses not just the immediate crisis in Ukraine, but the larger implications for U.S. foreign policy. But with the current political deadlock, it's hard to see a clear path forward. And all this while, as you mentioned earlier, Putin is watching and waiting. It's a test of wills, and the stakes couldn't be higher. It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds in the coming weeks. Absolutely. The world is watching, and the decisions made now will have far-reaching implications. It's a critical moment in history, and we'll be here to discuss it all as it unfolds. From global politics and the potential implications of the U.S.-Ukraine situation, let's bring the spotlight back home and delve into the intriguing dynamics of West Virginia politics. The upcoming election there is brewing up some interesting developments, particularly with a new contender stepping into the ring. Let's shift gears to West Virginia politics. With Joe Manchin not seeking re-election, it's opened up space for some interesting contenders. One such candidate is Zach Shrewsbury, a Marine Corps vet who openly identifies as a socialist. What do you make of this, Abby? Well, Michael, it's definitely a bold move. West Virginia has traditionally been a bit of a tough nut for far-left candidates to crack. Shrewsbury's positions align with Senator Bernie Sanders, who did manage to energize the left wing of the Democratic Party in the state back in 2016. That's true. Sanders won the Democratic presidential primary in West Virginia with 51% of the vote. But it's worth noting that the state's Democratic superdelegates chose Clinton over Sanders, which caused a bit of a stir. Since then, the left hasn't been able to recreate that Sanders-level enthusiasm for state candidates. For instance, Right in the 2020 U.S. Senate race, liberal Democrat Paula Jean Swearengin only managed to pull in 27% of the vote. And in the race for the second district seat in 2022, liberal Democrat Barry Wendell received 34%, while the Republican incumbent Alex Mooney collected 63%. Yes, and it's not just about the numbers. It's about the voters' alignment, too. Pew Research found that only 16% of West Virginia adults say they are liberal, while 47% identify as conservative and 30% say they are moderate. So it's a steep hill for a liberal, let alone a socialist, to climb. But it's not all doom and gloom for the Democrats. The field's open for a more moderate Democrat to step in. Wheeling Mayor Glenn Elliott is one name being floated around, he said that he's giving it full consideration, which could be interesting. Indeed. And it's important to remember that Joe Manchin, while more moderate, was able to do something that no far-left candidate has been able to do in recent elections, win a race. So while Shrewsbury's campaign is certainly a bold move, it'll be a tough battle to win over West Virginia voters. But only time will tell. True, Michael, it's a wait-and-see situation, but it's certainly going to be an interesting race to watch. And it's a reminder that politics is always evolving, always shifting. What's considered far left or far right today may not be the same tomorrow. 